Hey, Christ community, uh, glad you are here. Greetings to our West Campus that meets at Northridge High School. You guys are rocking it. And uh, greetings to our traditions venue. You guys are rocking it as well, in a more traditional way, of course. Um, but really, we're, we're glad that all of you are here. Um, Happy New Year. It's hard to believe it's 2018. When I was in high school, the year 2018 sounded like a science fiction novel, light years into the future, right? Um, and yet here we are. This is our reality. But I, um, I'm, I'm excited about this year. I have a, I have a sense that God is going to do some amazing things in our lives and in our church this coming year. And I really believe that today is a significant part of that. My message today um, is actually not the message that I initially prepared. Um, before uh, taking time off for Christmas break, I was working really, really hard to get this particular week's message done on Luke 15. I had it all prepared. Um, but then as I was spending time with the Lord over um, the holidays, I felt like he has a different message for us this weekend, something very specific that he wants to address as this new year year begins. And it's focused on the last two verses of Luke chapter 14. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 14. We're continuing this journey through the book of Luke, um, and we'll get to Luke chapter 15 next week. So let me set the context for these two verses at the end of Luke chapter 14. As Pastor Steve described last week in his message, the fi this final section of, of chapter 14 in Luke is really about following Jesus. Jesus lays out this very clear description of what it means to truly follow him. It's about counting the cost, and it's about taking up our cross, and it's about giving up everything out of our devotion to him. That, that's the call. That's Jesus' invitation. Well, right at the end of this challenge, Jesus says, says some, some really interesting words, verse 34 and 35. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It's thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is God's word. So Jesus is using an analogy to make a point. His analogy has to do with salt losing its saltiness. Now, scientifically speaking, salt cannot lose its saltiness. It can't lose its flavor. It's a very simple, stable, chemical compound, and the elements of which cannot easily be separated. But, but Jesus is not giving a chemistry lecture here, okay? Um, he, he is using an analogy that was perfectly appropriate in that particular culture. In that day, the salt that people used would often come from places like the Dead Sea, the shores of the Dead Sea. And, and because of that, it was often impure. So it was a mixture of salt and other stuff. So if a chunk of this stuff was exposed to rain, the actual salt compound in that chunk could easily be washed away, leaving a chunk of flavorless Whatever. So from their perspective, the salt had lost its flavor. And because of that, it was no longer useful for anything. Okay, so Jesus gives the salt analogy. And then he says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Let them hear. Now that phrase is used often in scripture. And because of its familiarity, we often just kind of skip over it, right? We can just kind of skip over it. But it is not a verse to skip over. It is not a phrase to skip over. It is a specific invitation from Jesus to ponder what he has just said and to let the Holy Spirit speak to us 
about what this means to us? Are we willing to hear what Jesus wants to say to us in this analogy of salt? This is not just about information. This is not information that Jesus is giving us. It's not simply information. There is, there is transformation here. There is transformation here if we let the Spirit speak to our hearts about this, which is exactly where I found myself two weeks ago, <clears throat> on vacation, spending a quiet time with Jesus, and he began to speak to me from this verse. It was a very gentle and yet very serious warning of what can happen to my relationship with him. Actually, it was more than that. It was a description of what actually had been happening, what recently has been happening in my relationship with him. My relationship with Jesus had become flavorless. It still looked like salt, right? It still looked like salt. I was going through the same routines as before, but my passion for him had been waning. And Jesus began to speak to me about this. And, 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 and the more that I sat kind of in this, the more convinced I became that this message was not just for me, it was also for all of us. If our relationship with Jesus was a chunk of salt, how salty would it be? How salty would it be? How flavorful, how passionate is our love for him? I immediately thought of another analogy that may resonate more with us than the, the salt analogy. See, one of the Christmas gifts that I was looking most forward to receiving is this bad boy right here, okay? Um, what is this? This is a knife sharpener, okay? Now, I know that's kind of a weird thing to, to receive for Christmas as a, as a Christmas present. So let me kind of explain. There's a story here, okay? There's a story behind this. About a month ago, I, I was preparing my daily protein shake um, for breakfast, and I, I grabbed a, a very uh, brown banana, um, and I was going to cut it up for, for my, my shake. And so I took out one of our knives and tried to cut the banana, and it, and it wouldn't. <laughs> it couldn't cut a mushy banana. And so I grabbed another knife from our set, and the same thing. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself these knives are worthless. They are totally worthless. But actually, they weren't worthless. They just needed sharpening. And I just needed the proper motivation, which now I had. And so later that day, Raylene and I, we were out shopping, and I saw this knife sharpener at Bed Bath & Beyond for like 15 bucks. And I told Raylene, I want that in my stocking for Christmas. Um, <clears throat> so can you guess what was the first thing that I did after all the presents had been unwrapped on Christmas morning? What was the first thing I did? Yes, I was sharpening knives. Um, I mean, and, and the directions on this thing, the directions said, run it through, you know, this groove, groove number one for like 15 times and then go to groove number two and, and do it for however many times. So I did that with the first knife and, and it was still dull. Uh, so then I did it again. I did it again. I had to do it like two more times to actually get them, but to get them in the, where they need to be. But now they work great. I mean, bananas beware, okay? Uh, seriously, okay. So, so the day after that experience, as I was thinking about this salt passage, the Lord brought that to my mind. He brought that to my mind as a similar picture of what can happen in our spiritual lives. We can be doing the Christian thing, right? But over time, we just become dull. We, we lose our edge. Things that were fairly easy before now become increasingly difficult. Our Christianity becomes more of an obligation than a joy. So, so if that's the case, 
What is it that causes that to happen in our lives? How do we lose our flavor? How do we lose our edge? So as I begin to think about that question, I, I realize it, it, it all boils down to a fairly simple and yet incredibly significant question that Jesus once asked a would-be follower of his. <clears throat> in John chapter 1, we read about these two disciples of John the Baptist. They're disciples, they're followers of John the Baptist. And, and, and they were with John the Baptist. One day they were with him, standing with him, and Jesus walks by. And so they're standing right next to their, their, their leader, John the Baptist, and Jesus walks by, and John the Baptist sees Jesus, and he says, look, the Lamb of God. So we read in verse 37 of John chapter 1, when these two disciples of John heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Now, on the surface, that seems like a, a fairly innocuous question. What do you want? You know, that kind of thing. But when you unpack it, you realize that this is the foundational question for any would-be follower of Jesus. What do you want? What is it that you desire? See, how we answer that question has significant implications for our spiritual lives. For example, if we go back to Luke chapter 14, a little earlier in the chapter, we see Jesus telling a parable about a banquet that was being given by a very generous host. And as pa Pastor KJ um, pointed out a few weeks ago when he was teaching on this particular passage, lots of invitations go out for this banquet. Many, many people are initially invited and they, many, many people initially say yes to this invitation. But what then happens is they're, they're actually when the banquet is, is ready, it's finally ready and prepared, a second invitation goes out. And, and, and when the second invitation goes out, some people changed their minds. Verse 18 of Luke 14. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, now we can give all sorts of explanations about why these people responded this way, but it, but it all makes sense when you read their responses in light of Jesus' question. What do you want? What do you ultimately desire? See, their decision to not attend the banquet was because they wanted something else more. What you ultimately desire dictates your decisions. Now, now the banquet analogy, the banquet in this parable, represents the joy of being in the presence of God. Right? The joy of being at his banquet, the joy at being in the presence of God. He is the one throwing the banquet, right? He is the one preparing this amazing feast. So for those who ultimately want him, for those who ultimately want to be in his presence more than anything else, this invite to the banquet is a total no-brainer. It takes precedence over everything else. That person wouldn't miss this banquet for the world because they want to be there. They want to be in his presence. They wouldn't miss this for the world. That's the heart of the invitee who says yes to the banquet. But for those who at the last minute say no, what are they ultimately saying? 
They're basically saying, I want this other thing more than I want the presence of God. I, I want to pursue this other thing rather than go to the banquet. So when answer the question, what do you want? What, are the, what, are the, what, are the, what do you want? The, their answer is obvious. They want their wealth. They want business success. They want to enjoy their relationships, et cetera, more than they want God. And in that choice, they miss out on the joy of the banquet. They miss out on the joy of God's presence. See, whether we like it or not, whether we realize it or not, I should say, whether we realize it or not, every one of us, every one of us is answering this question multiple times every day. What do I really want? What do I really want? What desire is driving my decisions? What desires are driving my life? If it's not the presence of God that we ultimately want, all sorts of other things will take that place. If it is not the presence of God that we ultimately want, all sorts of other things will take that place. Many of them good things, but they will take that place. So what happens over time is that we lose our flavor. We lose our passion for God. We lose our edge so that bananas are even hard to cut. See, this question, what do I want? That question becomes such a powerful, such a clarifying question. When God was speaking to me about this this past week, I began to view the last couple months of my life through this lens. I just started to think about when I started to become dull and flavorless, and I just started to, to reflect upon the last few months of my life. And I, I started to see these months or look at them through this lens. What do I want? And I saw how easily I had fallen prey to consumerism so that I started obsessing over getting the best deal or the right style of something or the cheapest knife sharpener or whatever it happened to be, right? I, I just saw how easily this desire can, can begin to drive my life, my heart. So suddenly I'm more excited about Amazon Prime than about God's presence. I stopped thinking about God altogether as I'm on this pursuit for whatever it happens to be at that particular moment, for the best deal, the best price, whatever. I mean, imagine the impact of letting that desire just run unchecked for a few weeks or a few months. Very soon, I'm the guy choosing a field over a banquet. I I'm the guy choosing a purchase over the presence of God. So I've allowed my heart to be seduced by another desire. And it's impacting my decisions, my flavor, my edge, my passion for Jesus. Now, that's not the only area that, that I'm susceptible to this. And, and it's not the only area that we are susceptible to this. <clears throat> Anytime we choose to give in to some temptation like sexual lust or greed or whatever, any, anytime we choose that, isn't the ultimate issue an issue of desire? What do I desire more? The presence of God or the temporal pleasure of some sin? 
See, the, the more we choose the temporal pleasure of sin, the less we desire God. The, the, these sins begin to dull our spiritual sensitivity. They, they begin to dampen our desire for God. And over time, we lose our passion. We lose our edge. We lose our flavor. And, and, and the, lie, the lie that we believe in this process, the lie we believe is that we're going to miss out on so much. Right? I mean, we're going to miss out on so much. These other things, they offer us so much, right? In terms of joy and pleasure and excitement and adrenaline rush and all that stuff. These other things offer us so much. So, so to say no to these other things would be to miss out on some things, right? It would be miss out on life. But folks, that's a total lie. <laughs> that is a total lie. That's not how it works at all. In fact, Jesus totally sets the record straight in a really powerful way in Matthew chapter 6. Look at this passage, verse 31 to 33. Jesus says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. He's talking about food, clothing, right? The pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. See, notice what he's saying here. Notice the order. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, make his presence your ultimate heart pursuit. And if you do that, all these other things will be provided for you. They'll all be provided for you. But, he says, the, the implication here, if you make these other things your ultimate pursuit, like the pagans in this passage, if you make these other things your ultimate pursuit, you're going to miss out on both. You're going to miss out on life, real life. I love how C.S. Lewis describes this. He writes, he writes this, put first things first, and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first, and we lose both first and second things. Let me read that again. Put first things first, and you get second things thrown in. Put second things first, and we lose both first and second things. He, he's exactly right. See, when we pursue second things first, business, pleasure, wh wh whatever, whatever it happens to be, when we, when we pursue second things first, we lose the joy of both first and second things. But when we pursue and delight in the presence of God above everything else, we not only get God, but we get second things thrown in as well. <laughs> I mean, th this is exactly the case in the parable. And these people who gave excuses to not attend the banquet. Think about this. The first person had already bought the field. The second person, they have already bought the oxen, right? The third person, they have already gotten married. This is not a choice between putting food on the table or going to the banquet. This, this is not a choice between choosing God over never being married or never having a family. No, no, that's not what's going on here. What's going on here is that these people could have actually enjoyed the banquet and enjoyed their oxen and field and marriage. But instead, they choose to say no to being in God's presence. They, they choose to pursue their own interests first. They choose to set their heart on second things 
and they miss the ultimate joy of God's presence because their second things can't provide that ultimate joy. They can't. No second thing, whatever it is, can provide what God can provide. See, Jesus' question to, to, to these two would-be disciples is the question that he is asking each one of us here today. What do you want? What is your ultimate desire, your ultimate longing? Is it him or is it something else? How we answer that one question will set our lives on a particular trajectory that will either result in peace and joy and blessing or stress and fear and despair and emptiness. It's a big deal. It's a significant choice. How we are answering that question will determine whether our spiritual life is flavorful or flavorless. Whether it's dull and ineffective or sharp and effective. See, what is the Spirit saying to you in answer to this question? What do you want? What do you want? What do you really want? Do you want the presence of God more than anything else in this life? See, this is the question, the question that I believe God wants us to seriously look at as a church, as individuals here, this particular weekend, at the start of this new year. This is the question I believe God wants us all to look at. And I am not talking about us giving the spiritual answer you know, we're in church, and usually the answer is Jesus when you're in church. So I'm just going to say, yeah, Jesus, that's what I want. I'm not talking about giving the spiritual answer or the answer because you've always, you know, you've walked with God so many years. You've been a Christian for decades. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about us looking honestly at our lives right now. Not because we've walked with them. I'm, I'm talking about right now. This day. This moment looking at our lives right now, looking honestly at the choices we are making right now and looking at the things that we are pursuing right now and asking ourselves, what do I really want? What am I truly wanting? What am I pursuing? And is that what I want to be pursuing? When I started to think about this question, I realized that this one question is a consistent theme throughout scripture. I mean, when we look at the people in the Bible who were closest to God, right? The people that we would say demonstrate the greatest level of intimacy with God, this right here, this question, this thing, this is the one factor that ties them all together. Even though they had very different personalities and lived in very different time periods and they had very different gifts and abilities, but what they all shared in common was how they answered this question. What do you want? What do you want? So let's look at a few of these folks. Let, let's start with Moses, who experienced a powerful friendship with God, right? Moses spoke with God as a friend. He spoke face to face, an amazing thing you see in Exodus 32, 33 there. So in Exodus chapter 33, 
we see after we see kind of a window into one of these interactions, these face-to-face interactions between Moses and God. And we see this interaction, and Moses, he's kind of freaking out about having to lead the people, right? He's realizing this level of responsibility he has and, and how difficult the people kind of are. And so the task feels way over his head. He just feels overwhelmed with this task. And, and so he says to God, look what he says to God. You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, again, he's speaking to the Lord. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And that's really, really cool. And then notice, notice what Moses says then. Now show me your glory. <laughs> show me your glory. See, what, what does Moses want? Yeah, he wants wisdom and he wants leadership help and all that stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what, what is his ultimate longing? His ultimate longing is for God's presence. He longs to know God better. He longs to see God's glory. I mean, if we were to ask Moses the question Jesus asked, what do you want? The answer is clear. I want God. I want God. I want his presence more than anything else. Or how about King David, king of Israel, strong leader, Warrior, right? What, what did he want more than anything? More victories? Did he want more victories on it? You know, to list on his wall? Did he want more kingdoms to conquer? Well, well, we see the answer to this question. What do you want? We see the answer in the Psalms. So many of the Psalms where David reveals his heart. And, and check out this is just one, but check out this Psalm from Psalm twenty-seven. <clears throat> one thing I ask from the Lord: this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. One thing I seek. One thing I seek. If Jesus were to ask David, what do you want? His answer would be absolutely clear. I want you. I want you more than anything else. Most powerful man on the earth at that time. I want you, Lord, more than anything else. I want to gaze upon your beauty. I want to seek you. I want to know you. That's what I want more than anything else is you. In the New Testament, we have the Apostle Paul, right, who faced hardship and persecution for the sake of the gospel. I mean, who planted churches throughout the region. Paul was an amazing leader, a gifted leader and teacher. Amazing man. Listen to Paul express his heart, his longing in, in a letter to some friends in the city of Philippi. This is what he says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Would you read this last part aloud with me here? Well, let's read this together. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. How would Paul answer Jesus' question? What do you want? I want Jesus. I want Jesus. All of my past accomplishments and accolades and trophies and diplomas, all that stuff, they they mean nothing to me. I just want Jesus more than anything else. I want to know him in a greater way. He is more valuable to me than anything else in this life. Three different examples who lived in vastly different time periods and situations, each having their own struggles and their own weaknesses, but each one of these people possessing this common longing and desire for God. And that longing made all the difference in their life. See, again, this, folks, this is the critical question that God is asking each one of us today. What do you want? What do you want? What what is your ultimate yearning and longing? Now, I realize, I realize that this question is not one to try and answer quickly. You know, it, it, it is a question of the heart. It is a question that requires time in the presence of Jesus, letting his spirit speak to our hearts. It, it may involve, asking this question may involve some repentance, repenting of those things that we have given our heart to. It, it may involve prayer, asking Jesus to restore our passion for him. It may involve looking honestly at our schedule and our priorities and making some intentional decisions about how we can give greater priority to spending time pursuing Jesus <clears throat> or, or how we can make time to join an e-group, a community of people who are seeking God together and, and that they, they can help stir, that sense of community can help stir our passion for him. I don't know what it looks like specifically for you in, in terms of answering this question. I, I don't know what it looks like specifically, what I do know is that God is wanting each of us to spend time honestly answering this question before him. What do I want? Now, you may be wondering, how can you find time to do this? For many of you here, you're, we're busy, and all sorts of things are going, life is busy, all that. How, how can you create space to seek the Lord in this way? Maybe there's a stirring and you're wondering, I don't know, I got a really busy week. I don't know how to free up time to do this. Let, let me suggest a specific way to do this, and that is through fasting. See, fasting is a biblical practice in which for a season of time, we intentionally choose to give up something we value for the purpose of seeking God. Now, usually, fasting involves giving up food for a season of time. Food is obviously something we value. It's something we enjoy. And so by giving it up for a period of time, for a length of time, we're able to direct that hunger towards God. We take this hunger for food and we direct it towards God. So Jesus once said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. See, that's the heart of fasting. It is to take this natural hunger that we have for food and to redirect that hunger towards the Lord. But fasting doesn't have to involve food. We can fast from technology. We can fast from Facebook or Instagram or Netflix 
as a way to free up time and to free up our hearts to pursue God more earnestly. You see, there's a practical side to fasting and there's a spiritual side to fasting. So the practical side, first of all, practical side is the reality of time, honestly. And this is the cool, one of the cool things about fasting. When we fast from something that we value, we actually free up time to pursue God. We free up margin in our lives because we were pursuing this other thing. We free up margin in our lives to see God. So if you're fasting from food, some of the time that you would be eating could be used just to spend time with God. If you're fasting from technology, that can, that can free up large amounts of time to seek the Lord instead of binging on Netflix, right? Large amounts of time to seek the Lord instead. See, that's the practical side of fasting. It creates space for God in the midst of our busy lives. But that's not the only part of fasting. There's also a spiritual side of fasting. So there's something spiritually powerful. There's something spiritually powerful about choosing, voluntarily choosing to say no to something we want, all because of a greater desire for God. There's something powerful about that spiritually. In his, in his book, A Hunger for God, uh, John Piper, Pastor John Piper writes these words. Listen carefully. He says, the weakness of our hunger for God is not because he is unsavory, but because we keep ourselves stuffed with other things. The denial of our stomach's appetite for food can express or even increase our soul's appetite for God. And then he writes this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. He is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. See, fasting can increase our hunger for God. And in doing so, it can add fuel and power to our praying. Now, for a few years now, we as a church have set aside this first full week of January to seek the Lord in this way, through fasting. And, and God has, has used this time in some amazing ways. I could tell stories of people whose lives were redirected and God's specific direction to them at a time when they were needing that, or God deepening people's love and devotion, and really, really cool things. But I'm, I'm going to be honest here. Let, let me just acknowledge that for other people who have done this fasting thing, this time of fasting has not been a deeply spiritual experience. It was just hard. It was just hard. And that's okay, too. Really, that's okay, too. Because it's an opportunity. When you, if, even if nothing happens, it was just hard, you know? And I've heard people tell me that, hey, it was just hard, you know? That's okay, because it's an opportunity to share in the sufferings of Christ. How often do we do that? How often do we intentionally do that. Not very often. Our lives are all about the pursuit of comfort. So fasting provides this unique privilege to experience hardship and difficulty for Jesus' sake. To experience it for Jesus' sake. And that experience can deepen our love for him. Even if we don't have this dramatic spiritual experience, it can deepen our love just saying, I'm doing this for you. It's hard, and I'm choosing to do this for you. So here's the challenge. Would you be willing to fast this coming week? It could be for one meal. It could be for one day. 
It could be for a full five days from Sunday evening after dinner to breaking the fast with dinner on Friday night. That's one way to, to lay out the five days. Well, whatever you feel like the Lord is leading you to do is great, honestly. Whatever you feel like the Lord is leading you to do is great. Now, now we have a handout that we put together with some details about fasting from food, um, a reminder, you know, to drink plenty of juices and water, you know, to break your fast slowly, not at the Golden Corral, all-you-can-eat buffet, you know, just some kind of neat, helpful hints about fasting. That pamphlet's available on our information table um, in, in the lobby, as well as on our website under the sermon resources. You can access it there. And then and I encourage you to be sure and check out our Facebook page um, throughout the week as we're going to be posting some scriptures and just some, some encouragements. Now, let, let, me, let me just remind us, this is really, really important. Fasting is not a spiritual badge of honor. You know, it, it does not make God love you any more than he already does. So if you choose not to fast, that is totally cool. And I don't want anyone feeling like, oh, I can't say that I'm not fasting, you know, because everyone else... No, if you choose not to fast, it's totally fine. Really, it is. But for those of you who are choosing to fast from something for all or part of this coming week, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to go for it, even though it's hard. Let this fast be a lover's quest a deepening yearning for Jesus. <clears throat> Let it be an opportunity for you to more earnestly seek his face and hear his voice, an opportunity for your love for him to be reawakened so that like the psalmist, your heart can say, whom have I in heaven but you? <laughs> and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's pray together. So the way we structure our services here is it's all towards response. The, the word that we've just heard moves us to respond. And so I want to encourage you. These are the moments when the spirit can speak specifically and directly to us. And so we're, we're going to create a little space here just for some personal reflection. And the worship team is going to lead us with songs just to express this desire, but so, so we just, get, Holy Spirit, we just begin here by welcoming you to come and speak and do what you want to do in our hearts in response. We don't want to just take away information. We want to be transformed through your word. And so let's just quiet our hearts for a moment. And again, if you're, if you're new to this Jesus thing, if you're not even a believer in Jesus, that's totally, I'm so glad you're here. You don't, don't feel any pressure to respond here in any way. You can just sit there and chill out. But for those of you who are hungry for more of him, I want to encourage you just to quiet your heart. Take a few deep breaths here just to kind of be in the Lord's presence, to tune into his presence. Now, I want you to just, in that place, just sit with this question for a few moments. What do I want? 
Here's another way of asking, how does my desire for God compare to my desire for other things? What do I want more? Now, if you're at a place in your life, your relationship with God, where you're passionately pursuing him, you're longing for him more than anything, that's awesome. Just continue on that path. But for others, maybe that's not the case. Maybe your saltiness has been waning like mine was. Giving my heart, giving your heart to other things, pursuing other things, focusing on other things more than him. And if that's the case... What, what do you want to say to Jesus about that? Just in the quiet of your heart, just tell him, in the quiet of your heart, tell him, what, what do you want to say to him about that? Maybe just acknowledge it, confess that to him, repent of that, just offer that to him, whatever it is, just in the quiet of your heart, just say that to Jesus. And now as our hearts are quiet, what does Jesus want to say to you about that? Father, we acknowledge that our hearts get distracted and then over time we just become flavorless. We become dull, spiritually speaking, and we don't want that. God, we, we, we ask you, Holy Spirit, we ask you to reawaken this hunger for you so that we want you more than anything else. And I pray, Lord, in these moments, I pray in these response songs, I pray in, in this coming week, God, I pray that we would seek you. And then our hearts would be filled with a longing for you. So that along with Moses and David and Paul and many, many others, we could say one thing I'm after. I want you, God. We want you. We want your presence more than anything else. So we ask you to do that in us. Holy Spirit, come just do that in us. Thank you, Lord. So we do want to continue this quest, this yearning, allowing the Spirit to do that. We're going to do it through some, some worship, some singing. So why don't we stand? Um, if you want to sit down, that's totally cool. If God's just speaking to you, please remain seated. But if you're ready to kind of engage through singing, please stand. Holy Spirit, set us free to worship Jesus right now and stir in our hearts a greater love for you. We pray.